Fell watches with determined resolve as his friends, his family, vanish into the shadow plane. As he strains against the particle accelerator to keep it open, but prevent it from expanding its shadow energy beyond the point of no return, he grits his teeth as the last of his party disappears, and he pulls out his trusty wrench. Immediately, he gets to work trying to disable and destroy the accelerator, but the pulsing shadow energy ripples over him, filling him with fear, regret, loss, pain. Fell fights against this extreme exposure to the evil extraplanar energy as he is buffeted by the shadow over and over. He thinks about Mike to steal himself, emulating the Vesk's well-known resolve and toughness. He begins to dismantle the machine part by part, unsure if the next screw the next washer, the next pipe, will cause catastrophic disaster, killing him and releasing the shadow plane incursion despite his best efforts. He thinks about Zeno as he uses his exocortex to dismantle the computer code within the circuits of this infernal machine. He is reminded of Zeno's sacrifice and smiles in resistance as he makes his own. The particle accelerator shudders violently and a screw is expelled directly at Fell's face, leaving a deep gash on his cheekbone. Blood drips down his face as he continues his work with fierce determination. Come on! Almost there! Through gritted teeth, Fell tries to coax the machine into submission. He is getting closer, though now he can begin to feel the ground beneath him waver as barely holding on to its existence. Fell pulls a cable from the accelerator, hoping that it is the power, but to no avail. It only sputters black Icarus oil all over his legs. Focus, Fell. Focus. The Verthani closes his eyes and takes a deep breath. When he opens them, he takes a moment to look around at the vision that Tenna has provided for him. He sees the comfort of the epic tracer around him, his starship, his home. He sees Terry smiling at him, silent in his support and enthusiasm. A pang of sorrow hits Fell as his eyes fall on the empty pilot chair and the captain's perch. Where did they go? He thinks to himself. And then, with renewed vigor, he looks down at the accelerator. I don't know, but wherever you are, I'm going to make sure that you have a home to come home to. And with an uncharacteristic prayer to Ibra, Fell brings his wrench down directly on the core power unit of the particle accelerator, fully expecting to be vaporized in the process. The clang of the wrench rings out, and then... Silence. Fell looks down and sees that the accelerator is smoking, but no longer pulsing, no longer functioning, no longer a threat. And with a deep, exasperated sigh, Fell slumps to the ground, tears in his eyes. The Kyle twin had given him what she thought was a gift, and in a way it was. Seeing the tracer's interior had given him the resolve to finish his job, but now, with nothing but his own breath to break the silence, he is filled with lament and sorrow. They have lost so much. Sedona, Zeno, the epic tracer, now Orn and Ziva, and for what? This was all so pointless. Fell is still trying to grapple with the descent of his friend Kaon. What is the point of all this corruption? 
to bring pain to the galaxy, the universe is already filled with pain. It just seems so pointless to the Vrathani mechanic. And now, here he is alone, at the center of this corruption, on Verses, with only the slim hope that his friends are okay, wherever they are. At least they're out there doing something, he muses, but that just spirals his dark thoughts even further. Yeah, it would have been easier if the particle accelerator had exploded, he thinks, but then shakes it off. Those are dangerous thoughts, and as unlikely as it may seem, he has to at least try to escape the depths of the black site. He stands up, knowing that Mike would expect no less, and begins to see what he can muster. guys welcome to episode 150 what did you guys think about fell being still alive (laughs) y'all had to know know. (laughs) assumed he wasn't dead yet i figured huge surprise to me (laughs) (laughs) he's He's so the accelerator boss though i mean that's got to be like two level ups minimum 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 (laughs) easily Uh. Uh, how are you guys doing this evening? Doing good, man. Doing good. Doing pretty yeah. good. Yeah. 150 episodes, y'all. Like We are it on sounds like a lot, doesn't it? It, it is a lot. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like. That's like. I don't remember It's more than 150 hours for sure. It's probably closer to like 175. It's, it's more than 150 more. episodes, to be fair. To be that's fair. That's true. That's true. To be fair. Um, yeah. You know, we, we didn't do like a big like. You know, announcement about 150. That seems like a not really something that we should do a big celebration for. But it's likely that this is potentially the halfway point for this show. Maybe we'll get this done in under 300 episodes. But, you know, it it feels like we're halfway through. Oh, we're halfway there. Sorry. We can... You have the power to orchestrate it to make that happen by doing episode whatever number, part one, two, three, four, five, yeah. six, seven. Right, right. Yeah. It's episode, you know. episode 299, part seven. <laughs> part seven. <laughs> We're well, not actually, going over 300. <laughs> I actually don't know if we'll get to 300 with APA. We might, it might be less than that. Yeah. Uh, well, how many doors are there? Thinking, honestly. There are a lot of doors. So I, hey, we might break four. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. It might be 400. Tell okay. you what, you no, might definitely 20, 30 minutes every episode. Episode, yeah. pat it out. Just yeah. throw a door in there. Um, Empty hallway. It's a door. I mean, yeah. I plan on indulging in Devastation Arc as much as I can. Like, I'm, I'm a stretch as much as I can, just because I want to be in <laughs> Devastation Arc for as long as possible. I feel you. Well, yeah. I think that some of the combats in Devastation Arc will be multi-episode combats because they're just so mm-hmm. so big, big and yeah. Yeah. complicated, yeah. and you know. Um, We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But we're going to assume that this is roughly halfway 
And you will see a lot more vignettes like the one that you heard in the intro as we go through the episode. That's the way we're going to celebrate. We're going to just, we're going to do some good old flat fashion flashes. Woo-woo. Maybe some flashbacks, some flash sideways, some flash forwards. How are we going to do old flash fashioned flashes? We're not doing flash forwards. Spoiler alert. That's not happening. Adam. You don't know. You don't know. You don't even know. How are we going to do? <laughs> oh, Lord. There's As nipples. Heath flashes us. There we go. That's new, that's a new thing. Out though. of context that is, there. That is How new. How are we going to do old-fashioned flashes with Fell not here? I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really hard. It's going to take some creativity. Heath some gets teamwork. naked. Heath gets naked. <laughs> <laughs> See? One way to do it. We did it. Uh, I mean, nothing says that he wasn't naked during that whole scene, you know? Yeah, I assumed yeah. he was. Hey, man, y'all just see the top of me in the Zoom calls. Y'all don't know. I could have been naked plenty of times. <laughs> I, I'm i hoping that you weren't, though. Yeah. Uh, see, if he was, I don't mind. I mean, I'm not going to try bro. to imagine, so. I didn't Look. mind either. <laughs> <laughs> I love y'all. I believe that, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. No. Fell, fell's, fell's fine. He's going to get out. Everything's fine. It's Don't fine. even worry. That's, we'll see. That's my whole, we'll that's my whole ass take. I mean, Phil might get out, but everything thing? is certainly not fine. The whole hog. <laughs> that's just simply false. That's just <laughs> categorically. Yeah, yeah. There's, there are some, <laughs> some pretty bad things going on currently. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, it's a real Indeed situation. Uh, well, speaking of currently, you guys actually did take down a pretty bad thing uh, last episode with your defeat of Harambor. Um You deafened him, and he screamed at you and couldn't hear your responses. Very cool. Uh, Very and you cool. Took out, you took out Roberto, Robbins, and what was the other one? Uh, 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 Flexo. 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 Uh, Dearly departed Flexo. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I want to do that I really meant to do last uh, episode, but I got too caught up in the combat to remember, is that I wanted to give Heath an inspiration for his great quote from Mike in episode 148. Uh, I think it was talked about on Discord even. Um. What what was it? Do, do competition you is the greatest driver of heroes. Yeah, I liked it, and I, I yeah. really did intend to give you an inspiration for that. I just forgot and was reminded by the Discord to do that. So, go ahead and what did we say? Roll a d six, one or six. You get a personal. Okay, that's a six. All right, so we got a personal inspiration. Go ahead and roll another d six for me. That's a four. A four. All right. This inspiration comes from Jason Laptop. Hey, my my boy. He's the yes, one that's sir. been reminding me to do my intimidates. There you go. Uh, his message here is tough times never last, but tough people do. I guess that's why Titanium Mike is gonna live forever. <laughs> nice. True. I love that. Yep. I like that yep. sentiment a lot. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, He's the oldest goddamn Vesk anyone's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I took the live forever feet. Um, so, all right. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the uh, cleanup of Harambor, right? So we ended last episode with his defeat. But I'm sure that you want to know what possible treasures might abound here in Harambor's 
uh, little domain. Layer. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. Layer. I feel like once you um, become a villain, you have to have like anything, it's a layer. Whatever you yeah, inhabit, right, yeah. becomes your layer. It can right. be a closet, but it's a lair. Yeah. Yeah. And down by the uh, river. That's a lair. <laughs> uh, okay, so yep. here is what we got. It's a lot of weapons. Um, so there is, an, and there is an Estex suit three. I don't think that's gonna improve anybody's armor, but if you guys want to take a look, that is there. There's also the carbon drill, which is effectively a ripper spinned blade. There is one battery. There's the nail gun that functions as an elite semi-auto pistol with 20 nails. And See, I want he, that for another show, you know? Right, 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 right. Uh, and before he was corrupted, Harrenbor was tweaking a pair of weapons to be installed on a starship for security purposes. So these are not starship weapons, but these are like, you know how you guys had a weapon on your, on your gate, anti-personnel security or whatever. He's got two. An anharmonic dirge cannon and a white star plasma caster. So, I will put this all in the chat. Yeah, I was just—I need to know know oh, some thank details. <laughs> all right, so let's let's. I heard talk. cannon yeah. at some point, and I'm interested in that. <laughs> all right, so what do you guys want to? Let's check out the armor first. Let's see if that's really gonna do anything for you guys so the armor is sdex three i think it's a plus seven plus eight it's not really yeah it is a level seven armor so i think you guys all have better armor than that so Mm. um you know it's worth five thousand five hundred so for you know ten ten percent of that's what fifty five 550? Well, or, I mean, so are we still doing the thing where, like, if I could ha- keep it in my inventory, the next time I want to make armor, I can convert some of it into armor? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah so... Sure. Yep. Um, so, <laughs> if you want to grab that's that... That's what I'm interested in, you know? Alright, so that's the Estex Suit 3. You can grab that, put it in your inventory there, Heath. And then, what was the next thing we got here? The Ripper Spind Blade. Uh, that is going to spined. be... Spined. Ripper spine. Oh, spined blade. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking like a <laughs> like a handsaw or something. Um, that is going to be a 3d6 piercing weapon. No critical effect. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's a 2d10 mm-hmm. piercing weapon. No critical effect. And the nail gun... The nail gun is... Um, that's an elite semi-auto pistol is a 3d6 weapon so i don't know if anybody wants that kuiper does that i have improve your weapon oh, all right, cool. yeah, i have one of those. i can right. use i could use a uh, i don't have any uh ranged weapons for yeah go ahead and grab that you know you know he was he was picking on you specifically so why don't you go ahead and take his little nail gun toy you're the one who knocked it out of his hand mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. true 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 let's talk about these two weapons that are actually under the treasure heading that are not just what was on Harrenbor himself that was the um and harmonic dirge cannon dirge cannon yeah, the Anharmonic Dirge Cannon. Now, this is a level 13 weapon. It's Ooh, two-handed. Wow. Has the blast and unwieldy and anti-biological 
tags. Jesus. Okay. Okay. Totally uh, operative. Keep talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this does. It looks like sonic damage, of course. Um, it has a capacity of 880, uh, but it uses four rounds per shot. Yeah. Um, okay. It, As far as its damage, it will do... Um, where do I find that? 5d6 sonic. 5d6 sonic damage, and it has the critical effect of deafen. How Shit. ironic. That's hilarious, first off. Um, But that is a pretty decent weapon. 5d6, 2, it's a heavy weapon, so you have to have that heavy weapon proficiency. And then the other one is the White Star Plasma Caster. Which is also pretty good if you can carry a rifle. Uh, Uh, It's a 3d10 electric and fire. Yeah. 1d10 burn. And it also has the boost property. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, so as luck would have it, uh, D actually has, or Gloombot, as he's probably more commonly known, actually has a weapon focus for heavy weapons as one of his feats. So, would you like that Sonic? Well, okay, so I know D's interested in it. I'm pretty sure Mike's probably interested in both these weapons. I am. Mike is a weapon uh, carrier. I'm, I don't know who Expert, else can... Expert, thank you. Expert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're a carrier. Um, I, I don't know who else can use long arms and or heavy weapons. I don't think Not the rest I. of the party is capable of that. I've so, got two soldier levels, so I mean, you know. Okay. Well, are you interested in no. either of those no, weapons? No, no, no. no. All right. So let's get a roll off. Let's start with the plasma caster. That is the 3d10 boosting weapon. It has a range of 80 feet. Does fire damage. Critical effect, burn 1d10. Pretty juicy. It uses five rounds per shot, but it has Mm. a capacity of 100 in its magazine. And and what type of weapon is that? It's a long arm. That's a long arm, yeah. 3d10 on a long arm is pretty good. But is it, you say it's a plasma caster. Does it actually use... Use batteries. Well, no, I mean, is it a two-handed heavy weapon plasma? So type? it's not a heavy weapon. Oh, okay. It's a long arm. But the it cannon is, two-handed. is the, the cannon is the heavy weapon. Gotcha. Which okay. again talking about somebody who's got focus in heavy weapons. Yeah. And specialization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it should be a no brainer that I just take that one and you take the other one, Heath. Give me the heavy, you get the long arm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Roll, well, roll let's offs do are it. fun. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, loot goblin. Loot goblin, dude. Yeah, Classic yeah. loot goblin. All I do is use weapons. It's the only thing I, I can do. You Weapon use order, more likely. More well, likely. but you guys are both soldiers, so mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. true right. for both of you. You know. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and roll off for it. So we're rolling Damn off it. on the long arm first. Okay. Which is really the one that Mike should take, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. Cool. I'm glad I rolled not great on that one then. What'd you roll? Nine. All right. Mike? <laughs> Nine. <laughs> roll again. Right. Roll again. Roll off on the roll off. Whip out your dicks. Oh, boy. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got a three that time. <laughs> See if I can go lower. See if you can um, match a three. <laughs> uh, Thirteen. All right, well, Mike, I guess, gets the plasma caster. Let's talk about that dirge cannon. Let's get a roll for that. Josh, just go ahead and take a plus 20 to your roll. All right, with that plus 20, I got a 24. 
Oh, oh no. my god, babe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your two new weapons. I'm not going to take both weapons. Get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah, I think I think mechanically and for the best of the party because he has that heavy weapon focus, the dirge cannon should go to D. And, and specialization. And specialization. I mean, yeah. does more damage. I mean, does, yeah, get more damage out of it. And you still get a, a, a fancy new gun too. Yeah, I'll let you have it. I still don't want to, um, but I, but I'll let you have it uh, because not not out of sheer greed. Because I have the scaffold, which would allow me to use it with one hand. You know what I'm saying? Isn't the other one two handed? They're yeah. both two handed. They're both two handed, but it's a cannon with one hand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So dirge cannon two gloombot and the plasma caster to Mike. Those Maybe. are some good weapons, man. Mm-hmm. For yep. real. That's some that's a good upgrade. Yeah, there. I mean that's a flat upgrade for sure. I went from a three D eight to a three D ten weapon. Jesus yeah. Christ. So it's a uh, anharmonic dirge cannon? Mm-hmm. Yes. Any yes. modifiers on it or just a, a stock uh, one? Straight up as it comes, man. Cool. Is there anything you guys want to do else in this room before you head back down the elevator to Father Gloom? Uh, Trailax will say, uh, rest in peace, uh, Flexo. We hardly knew ye. What's <laughs> funny is y'all, you and Tenna both knew Harambor, uh, mm-hmm. because he spent some time, but I don't we think you liked him. him even before he no. was corrupted. No, nah, yeah. he was kind of a dick. He mm-hmm. was, in fact, mm-hmm. a dick. Mm-hmm. That's the, uh, that's rest the story. Rest in peace, Harambor. We hated you. Yep. All right. Well, I said that this was episode 150, and I also said that we were going to do some some little side, some flashes. So our first one is going to be from Zach. Zach's got a little something he's got for for mm, okay. for a character. And so, Zach, uh, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. I'm going to go ahead and get some music going for you. Do we want to do any like doodly doos or something there of our flash <laughs> sideways was the like doing too much yeah. nitrous. Stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. All right, let's do it. Gosh, I think most people hate that. They do, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Fuck them. Epic as. Fuck them. All right, Zach. Let's go. Orin wakes up, surrounded by complete darkness. He tries to adjust his eyes, but it's no use. Nothing but infinite blackness extends outward in all directions. His body feels weightless in the void, as if he were floating in space, yet his heart weighs heavy with emotion and strain. He can feel something tugging on his chest, and he looks down to see the remains of the severed spiritual tether, floating limply in front of him with a sickly green glow. He remembers the pain he felt when Ziva sliced his emotional connection. Seeing it manifest makes the pain more visceral, but after weeks of dulled emotions, Oren almost welcomes it. He tries to clear his head and assess what happened, and more importantly, where he might be. He knows that he saved Ziva, of that much he's sure. He saw her eyes open, felt the healing energy seep into her, but after that, Oren knows he was taken, transported into some space between planes along with his captain. He vaguely remembers an android, an android who seemed to know them by name. But before he could even process that, he felt an intense pain, as of being squeezed into a space much too small, and then everything went black. 
and now he's here, in the dark. He casts dark vision on himself, but it doesn't help. He still can't see anything save for the soft glow emanating from the spiritual tether in front of him. He erupts into starlight form, but the warmth of the cosmic rays is quickly stolen. The blinding light devoured by the darkness inches from his body. The inky blackness is thick like a bog, and Orin feels as if it will swallow him too. He wants to panic, to scream, but he knows it will do him no good. He looks down to the tether again and realizes that the last time it was visible, he found himself in that terrible nightmare with Dr. Gregant. If he's in another nightmare, then Ziva must be here too. And that android. He knows that he needs to find them if he's ever going to escape, but how when he can't see anything? Just then, he spots a glimmer in the distance, barely piercing through the oppressive gloom. He starts moving towards it, a faint speck of reddish-pink light at first. Gradually, it begins to take shape. The wisp shifts into the form of a humanoid woman, and Orn halts, watching in horrific realization as Evelyn appears, all of her beauty magnified in the crimson glow. Orin, it's good to see you. As she speaks, a bullet wound blossoms in her chest, and she collapses and disperses into mist, swallowed by the black. The tether pulses with green light, and he starts running again. Up ahead, he sees another red wisp, and as he approaches, again it becomes Evelyn. I miss you, Oren, she says as blood seeps unimpeded from her wound, pooling at her feet until she sinks down and drowns in it, dispersing into mist and vanishing. The tether pulses once more, and Oren follows. Eventually, he sees her again, bathed in soft red light. Why did you kill me, Oren? Did you not love me? He pushes her aside, and her form dissolves yet again. Another pulse of green light from the tether. He starts to sprint. For what seems like hours, he runs. Each time Evelyn appears in front of him, her heart bursting out of her chest in an explosion of blood as she taunts him. Each time her voice becomes harsher, more spiteful. Look what you've done, you monster! You killed me! Each time, Orin swipes at her grisly form, dispersing it, teeth clenched and tears in his eyes. Each time, a soft pulse of green light from the tether spurring him onward. Eventually, he hears Evelyn's voice, behind him this time, calm, soothing. You can't run, Orin. You've been running for years, but there's nowhere left to hide. Orin turns towards her and watches her radiant smile sink into abject horror as her wound reopens, blood pouring from her body like a torrent, the light in her perfect eyes fading. He falls to his knees and feels the blood pulling around him, blending into the murky darkness as it creeps up his legs and over his body, threatening to consume him. Wow. Good job, Zach. You boys in dire straits, you might say. Yeah. You got, how, got how lady is, problems oh for sure. Yes. <laughs> Money for nothing and his checks for free. <laughs> I think uh, one thing that that's worth noting is that as those pulses were happening on your on your strand there, 
each time it pulsed out, like he lost, he lost the, the memory or the pain, not the memory, but the pain of it. And so he had to like re-experience that fresh pain of, of killing her over and over and over Uh again, because somebody decided to cut his um, really hard times (laughs) out of his spiritual body. I'm not going to name names. Sounds like a bitch. Whoever it was (laughs) sounds like a real, Mm. real piece of work, real piece of work. (laughs) Tis a spiritual wound, you know? Tis, tis but a spiritual wound, you know? <laughs> uh, good job, yes. Zach. Why don't you go ahead and take an inspiration? Oh, yay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Snaps I roll a, a D6. You roll a D6, yes, please. One. One? That is a personal for you, too. Uh, you're going to roll a D3 for this one. Okay. Three. Three. All right. Another one from Jason Laptop. Okay. Jason. <laughs> know the rules well so you can break them. Now go and break Adam's brain with a natural 20. <laughs> <laughs> Heard that. Heard that. I'll do my best. Oh. All right. Thanks, Jay Lip Top. You're, yeah, man. you're Thanks. really, Thanks, you're really powering episode 150. Yes. You should feel, yeah. should feel proud of yourself. This you take you take an inspiration, yeah. Jay Laptop. All right. Uh, so yeah, imagine you guys go back on the elevator. Work your way down the long, hour-long ride to the base of this shadow tower. As you're breaking your way down, you see that these shadow tendrils that had been wrapping around the tower are starting to dissipate and retract. And you you see other aspects of the sky dock kind of come back on, you know. Um, so you get the sense that you have successfully dealt with this corruption that Harambor has put upon the Shadow Sky Dock. The Sky Dock is now purged. <laughs> <laughs> it's still a Shadow Sky Dock, though. So it's just not a Shadow Shadow Sky Dock. Mm-hmm. So ah, okay. We're no longer doubled down on the Shadow. Yeah, there's it's it's 100% less Shadow than it was. Um, okay. Still 100% shadow. Still, but it's 100%. still 100% shadow. <laughs> no, yeah. if it's 100% less, then that means regardless of how much there was, then Man, there's look, no shadow that's left. That's true. We're zero zero. Zero. 50% Ready. less shadow. Yeah. 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 Half mm. off the shadow. <laughs> it's a Christmas deal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Just tone that shadow down real quick. Shadow Friday. Uh, seasonal special. savings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's literally a Black Friday special. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so when you arrive down, Father Gloom greets you at the at the base as the as the elevator opens and and beckons you to join him to his you know his study, his library, whatever. Um, his, his torture parlor, if you his will. His torture parlor. Mm-hmm. It's really cozy. Um, and he says, "I'm grateful for your help, and I'm sure you have suffered somewhat on this journey." I understand you are afraid of the corruption within you. Sleeping in some, as he looks towards Tenna, raging in others, as he looks towards Mike. But there are other ways to master this power without giving in to it. If you wish, I can perform a ritual and grant you the Midnight Lord's blessing to allow you to overcome some of the drawbacks of the shadow living inside of you. 
Beware, though. This will not cure your corruption. It might even tempt you closer to allowing the shadow to swallow your soul. In addition, the ritual requires you to endure the smallest taste of pain. Merely a gift to take with you as a reminder of your time here with us. And he smiles. Would Tina know what exactly this is? Like mysticism check or... Yeah, no, no check. You know, I, I will tell you mechanically what this is. If you wish to accept Father Grimm's gift or offer, uh, he will lead you to his stark and somewhat disturbing chapel of Zonkuthon, uh, where he will administer a painful piercing or a tattoo, your choice. So you don't have to actually give up any body parts. You just have to experience a particularly painful piercing or tattoo, some sort of body modification. And then if you pass a fortitude save, you can ignore the drawbacks of one of your manifestations stains for as long as you keep said piercing or tattoo. This can only be done once per PC, uh, but it he is genuinely offering you an option here to maintain the good parts of one of your manifestations and ignore the stain. Mm, that's really tempting. Yeah, if I was cor- if I was corrupted, that'd be actually be a, a mm-hmm. pretty sweet deal. Yeah, really sweet deal. Now I think this pretty much comes down to Mike and Kuiper because I believe they're the only ones who mm-hmm. actually have manifestations. manifestations. Yeah. So, but this is this is a blessing of Zonkuthon. That's it what is, Ziva would understand. That's the that's the catch. It. Tenna, you mean? Yeah, sorry, yeah, Tenna, sorry. <laughs> um, yes, it is It is indeed a blessing, uh, a boon of Zonkuthon, if you will. Uh, uh, mm, uh, you so, want to just take it anyway? Tenna well, will... Doesn't, yeah, she doesn't no, really no, need no, it, but no. do you just want one? No, Tenna <laughs> will say to them, to, to um, Mike and Kuiper, say, if you are not familiar with... Zonkuthon, know that this particular boon will will put the the Midnight Lord's blessing into your skin. Think long and hard as to whether or not that is worth it to you. And then she just kind of like let you guys take your own but coming from a self-confessed Kuthite that warning. She just wants y'all to, you know, just <laughs> FYI. I think mull the it thing over. is, like, what kind of stains do y'all have, right? Like, like what? Because it, it's, it's a matter of, like, if bad. the mechanical drawbacks are worth it, you know? Well, I want it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> my stain is a minus two penalty to saving throws against mind affecting. Effects that aren't illusion or fear. Yeah, that's a that's a, would be a pretty good stain to get rid of. Right, sure. exactly. Because I'm already my gift is that I'm getting the plus two to intimidate. So then, like the the stain is you're so focused on spreading your fear, you're susceptible to mental manipulation, which is something Mike is and always has been worried about being smart enough well, to know he's not smart enough. You know. And I mean, you did in your fight with Kayon Reese get controlled. 
you know, like that, yeah, that was I, a, that that a whole happened. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so me, Mike, while you you guys are like deliberating or whatever, Mike kind of steps up just confidently, having just you know got the killing blow on Harrenbor, real cash, magash, you know, um, and it's like, look, I've got no love or respect for the Midnight Lord. But any tools I can use at my disposal to help get back my friends as quickly as I can, I'll fucking take them. Midnight Lord's got nothing on me. If he wants to give me a fancy little tattoo that makes me better in combat, makes me less susceptible to getting mind control like I did with Kaon, tap me up, bruv. Remember, you can choose a piercing if you like, although I get to choose where you will be Yeah, pissed. I'm not doing that. I'm just kidding. Series of tattoos. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've got like 14. Well, see, that's Tell unfortunate. Tell me every one of Mike's tattoos space. chronologically. chronologically. I, can't, no. I definitely can't do it chronologically. Uh, <laughs> he's got a bunch of them, though. I mean, he's got the flower, for sure, from uh, the Gardener's Initiation. Um, he's got a Sedona and a Zeno on either side of his neck. Yeah. He's got an APA throat tap. Yeah. Um, he's got... Well, he's always in armor, but I've always envisioned that he has, like, chest tats. You know? Like, chest and arms. Just like like a hodgepodge. Not even, like... like He's just accumulated them throughout his time in the gang as a boxer and, and you just know. patchwork I'll have style. to fl- I'll have to flesh that out later now that now that it's been mentioned mm-hmm. on air I'll have to put together a more concise detail of what some more of his tattoos are but fuck it let's let's get another one bruv alright so um I can either put the skull of Zonkuthon or if you do not want to so blazingly display your affiliation with the Midnight Lord, I'd be happy to put some chains around your arm. Yeah, I mean let's let's do the chains because like <laughs> I don't I don't want people thinking I'm a Kufite because like the thing is Please, please, I'm, I've been a Kufite all my life, I understand. Well I, but I want you to understand I'm in this tattoo purely out of uh Free will and 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 greed. To be honest, I'm not a fucking Kufite. I got nothing for the Midnight Lord. Just give me the tattoo so I can fight better. Right. Well, I do <laughs> right. understand. Um, I feel like now it seems inappropriate for me to put the mark of Zonkuthon upon you, but I am a man of my word, and I am a man who appreciates free will. And he looks at Tenna, as I told you. There are many ways to worship the Midnight Lord, and our people here have all come of their own choice. This is very important to me and this group of Kuthites. Mike, if you would please join me in my temple to Zankuthan. Would any others of you care for this mark? And Kuiper is kind of pacing back and forth, trying to determine whether or not he's, he's kind of almost in the paralysis analysis, but he catches himself in it. And he says, uh, fuck it. Sometimes the price is worth the costs. And he's going to go ahead and approach um, Father Gloom. 
and he's gonna say, look, I cannot say that I am a devotee of Zonkotan, but ever since I was inflicted with this corruption, I found it very difficult to be stirred into action. Uh, I feel apathetic at times, and, uh, well, perhaps if you can remove this, uh, this stain while keeping the, the, uh, the benefits of it, I suppose I can, I can take a little bit of pain. To take, first one must give. Is that not correct, Kaipa? And he, he kind of looks at Father Glim like, bruh, where'd you hear that? You know? <laughs> and it's like, that's too long of a story. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, please join me then. And he's going to go ahead and follow Father Gloom into the temple. Mike kind of turns and catches eyes with you. He didn't expect you to to also join in on this and uh, just like locks eyes for a second, gives you a nod and says, well, let's go take our dose of medicine. Well, don't ask me to hold your hand, but this is oh, not my first Oh, time. would you please... Uh, Alright, so he takes you into this chapel um, Where there's chains all adorned along the sides And there is an altar that is basically like a surgical table You know Um, And and you see that he has uh, a whole tattoo Like set up And he's got a whole piercing set up And he says Alright who would like to go first? Let's get it over with. All right, so roll fortitude save. Okay. So where, how many where? manifestations do you have total? I have one gift and one stain. Well, so then you have one manifestation. Yeah, okay. All right, uh, All right. let's get that fortitude save. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's a natural 20 on the fortitude. All right, you're good to go, so... You- that is a success, and you can now ignore the drawback of your manifestation stain. Where is the tattoo? You said it was on the you arm? You tell me. Oh, where, okay. where do you want? I was going to say, if I had any choice in it, like I've got the APA throat tat. I like the idea of a chain, like a gold chain you would wear, like around his neck, you know? Yeah, so Father Gloom begins to work, and he's like, he starts like trying to grind the needle into your scales. scales. He's, like, he's like, this is quite difficult you are in fact quite tough um and so he he he's like i'm going to have to try one of my new devices and he like ruffles or rummages through some of his stuff and he pulls out this gigantic needle and attaches it to his mm. like little tattoo gun i mean it's huge and he just jams <laughs> it into your neck i mean it hurts like <laughs> there's no ifs ands or buts about it it I mean, he gets it right into your neck, like right into your nerves there. And you like kind of feel your leg kick out as he finally punctures through your scales, you know. This tattoo artists are basically jackhammer operators. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The shadow sky deck like blacks out for a second. It's like, oh, God damn it. (laughs) 
Toughest yeah, yeah. goddamn vest, dude. Yeah. Uh, all right, so you're good. You got. You now have a barbed chain. That's hardcore as fuck, dude. I, I kind of yeah, love it. Yeah. All, all right, Kuiper. You are up next. Would and, you like a piercing uh-huh. or a tattoo? And Kuiper kind of just shakes out of, like, actually, he was kind of engrossed watching the whole process. And coming back to, he, he says, uh, uh, yes, I'll... I suppose I'll take a tattoo. Would you like the skull of Zonkuthon or a chain? Mm. I'm going to tattoo this on your scrotum. Choose wisely. <laughs> and he's, he's going to have to shave it, oh, right? Dear. I'm thinking you're getting yeah. a piercing, getting eyebrow piercing or something. Uh, no. No. Uh, no. Get a no. septum ring, dude. <laughs> Where, yeah, wherever uh, it is, you're a cat covered in fur. Like, you have to shave it to get a mm-hmm. tattoo. That's it doesn't true. matter. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a personal choice. So, okay. uh, where, uh, so where are you getting the tattoo? Uh, what what part of you is about to look like shit? I will get the chains. May I suggest allowing me to tattoo it on your eyeballs? <laughs> it is a suggestion, and I acknowledge that. <laughs> and. <laughs> I will take it into consideration and just pause for a brief second. No. <laughs> All right. uh, so he uh, is going to get this tattoo actually along the side, the right side of his uh, torso. Well, that's a pretty painful place. Father Gloom will uh, approve yeah. of that. Like ribcage yeah. uh, tattoo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so, he's going sh- to shave your side and he might accidentally nick you a few times as he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. So he, t- so he takes off the armor and he... Uh, Oops, my bad. And uh, it's like, perhaps you'll need to... Uh, and he actually takes off his arm and just sets it off on the operating table. You know? Or, mm-hmm. And uh, Just get this out of the way yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, just get it out of the way for you, you know, just so you can, uh, you know, make sure you, you uh, do it right. You know, and it's more so he's just he's nervous about it. You know, sure, sure. Um, and he does that. So let's get the fortitude save. All right, seventeen. Ooh, you just barely made that, son. Um, but you did succeed, and uh, so you you gritted against the pain a little bit more than Mike did. Well, a lot more actually, uh, because Mike rolled a natural twenty. Sure. Uh, but you know, you you did you didn't squirm enough to uh, make the the tattoo wonky or, or messed up, messed up. Um, so you can also ignore your uh, stain, which means you can now you're not now no longer affected by bright light, right? No, not that one. It's oh, okay. The one where he doesn't have to take the disadvantage role. So on the inspiration, on the, I mean, the, um, not inspiration, the uh, initiative. Initiative. Yes. Oh, that's huge, man, that's, dude. That yeah. is huge. Yeah. Yes. Well, I hope y'all are excited about Kuiper going first all the time. <laughs> all the time. Uh, very good. Very good. Um, does anybody else want? To, okay. Well, let me just tell you what the situation is. After that, Father Gloom says to you, um, he says, "These tattoos look lovely. I hope that they provide you the peace through pain that you seek." It will take us two days to fully activate this sky dock after Harambor's corruptions. After that, 
it should take merely one day for us to manifest a shadow version of a starship. Do you have a starship that landed on Verses that you would like for us to make a copy of? <laughs> you better believe it, I don't mate. know. <laughs> I, I, do not, I don't have any starship in mind. Any, any, any starship. starship really would be fine with BD me. BD no, no, it ain't I saw this story very fast in one time. BD666 Oh, God. Get out. Get out. Yeah, so uh, anyways, yeah, so we're doing a tracer. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the tracer? Our ship uh, that me and, you know, the APA crew, as it was before this whole kerfuffle, was on uh it's called the uh, epic tracer epoch tracer there's been some debate about how to pronounce it <laughs> is this the herald ship it's that our ship act. yes yeah Tina. obviously you would be you'd be like click for you because you made the scene for fell because mm-hmm. you've seen it in, in through uh visions through and the, the dreams and dreams stuff. yeah um and you know it to be a pretty dope ass ship i'm just saying Tina Tina would kind of like look over to her brother and be like I believe this would be a fine ship. It is. Um, it is the Herald ship, after all. And I would think, like, <laughs> just whatever, like, kind of personal comm cell phone correlates we'd have, like, we would have pictures of us, like, in and around the ship. Selfies in know? the tracer. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, silly as that might sound. No, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So Father Gloom says, "Give me one moment," and he pulls up on his data pad and starts scrolling through some things. He says, and Mike's oh, like pestering him the whole time, showing him more selfies. You know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 it's a beautiful ship, Mike. Uh, let me just see if I can find its registry here. He starts scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, yes. It landed on Verses nearly a week ago. This should make it quite easy for us to manifest this ship. I can have this ship ready for your departure within three days. In the meantime, you are welcome to rest here and to prepare yourself to destroy this Shadow Queen that has given us all such terrible trouble. Tenna, I hope that you take some time to consider your relationship with the Midnight Lord. I understand that you feel lost on your path. And if you choose not to continue your disciplehood into Zonkuthon, just know that there will be no hard feelings here, and you and your brother, well, and all of your friends, are welcome here at Shadow Skydock anytime. With that, I must go peel my toenails back one by one. Oh, it sounds lovely. Thank you very much for telling us about this. It's just an average You Tuesday. really, like, insist on yourself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, fa- father. <laughs> yes, if you, you have a moment. I have many. Is there a particular moment that you would like to have? Whenever works for you before we leave. Yes, let me start all the processes of getting this sky dog back online. Perhaps you and I can meet for brunch tomorrow. I have champagne. Get it? 
<laughs> Champagne? No. Uh, ha, ha, ha. I love yes. it. Oh my god. <laughs> Mike's already out the door. Fuck this. Y'all can make puns. <laughs> fucking Kyber's dead, dude. Fuck that, dude. Uh, yeah, so uh. he, he, you know, y'all can, can meet tomorrow. Um, all right, Josh, so it's the next day. You see that a lot of people are getting to work on the sky dock, and around brunch time, you, Gloombot, goes to Father Gloom's study, and you can have, you know, your moment that, that you requested. Father Gloom, I had a few questions for you. Yes. What may I do for you, Gloombot13? Why did you make me? Hmm. What a deep question. It is a simple question. Ha. It is a simple question with many difficult answers. I would say that my initial intent in making you was to serve as protection for the various uh, supply runs that we sent from here to harbor the shadow stuff. But you should already know this, so perhaps you're asking something more, yes? Not really. All right. Is that all that you need then, Gloombot? No, I... Father, who am I? You are, but of course, Gloombot 13. Yes, but that does not answer the question. Hmm. Gloombot, you seem to be processing at a deeper level than I anticipated. This is not bad. This is good. It is not normal. It is not expected. I will say that. Normal? Well... I despise the word. Then... Do... Do I have a soul? Well, that is a philosophical question. I would say that you were not made with a soul. But perhaps questioning if you have one is having a soul. Wow. Goomba. Hey, bro. I, <laughs> I, I have heard your companions refer to you as D. Yes. What is this new name? And where did it come from? It is a shortening of the word demon. Demon. It's because of my giant decks. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, the subroutines that a machine or computer has, such as a print spooler. I see. Do you feel that D is something specific to you? And a follow-up question. Would you like to be referred to as D from here on out. Is it specific to me? Yes. I assume not, considering that computer there. 
likely has many demons running but that concurrently. Compu that computer there does not refer to itself as D. And the twelve versions of you that I made prior to you never referred to themselves as D. I feel that you are developing a new line of code that I did not create or install in you. You are unique, D. I know that it is difficult for you to process this beyond your logic, but there is something growing inside of you, and I did not make this. This is coming from you. You are unique, D. Is it also unique for a robotic organism? Am I an organism? It doesn't matter. Is it unique for one like myself to be fascinated with the idea of dreams? It is very unique. Dreams require emotion and abstract thinking. This is not typical of SROs or other mechanical computerized robots. Again, this is unique and exciting. Perhaps the Midnight Lord has chosen to elevate you above a typical service drone. So, with the dreams I have experienced thus far... You have experienced dreams? Somewhat. Mordrin inflicted me with horrid visions that I assume were dreams, or maybe just glitches, I'm not sure. Wow, that is... I... I must say that for once I find myself without words. Father, they were terrible. They hurt. And not the good Zonkuthan type of hurt that I have heard so much about. Hmm. Do you still want to have dreams? I could perhaps open you up and remove these nightmares? I do not recall having them since, but I feel if it happens again, I may be able to purge them myself. Please do not open me. I fear I would no longer be D. D, you are on a journey. And this is beyond something that I can tell you how to go. I find it fascinating that you are part of this group that is going to attempt to bring down this Shadow Queen in the face of such terrible corruption. Here you stand before me as the opposite. You are not corrupted, D, and you are no simple 
robot, either. I am curious to see what your journey will be. I would ask that you write to me, or call me, or FaceTime me, whatever you choose, and keep me apprised of these developments. I will consider it. Is there anything else that I can do for you? Yes, I have this new cannon. Might you put a cruel fusion on it for me like you did the previous one? But of course, it would be my pleasure. Do you have such a fusion handy? I have one on my old weapon, but would like to keep that for longer range engagements. No matter. If you have the UPBs slash credits available, I would be happy to fashion one for you. They are already sent to you. Excellent. And he begins to work and installs a cruel fusion on your new weapon. Nice. Josh, I want you to take an inspiration. Oh, hey, thanks. Way to go. That's good. Um, roll a d6. Okie dokie. Two. Two. All right. This is going to be a general one. Uh, let's go with... I'm just going to go... There's a lot here, and I don't know what dice to tell you to roll, so I'm just going to pick one at random. All right. This one... <laughs> This one is also from Jason Laptop. <laughs> uh, this episode is brought to you by Jay Laptop. <laughs> Jason Laptop, yep. Um, and I think this is an appropriate one. Uh, it is. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I remain. Very nice. cool. Very appropriate. Nice. Rock Frank, Her- Frank Herbert. About it. Great, great job, Josh. Great scene. Uh, I love that Gloombot is becoming more aware of himself. Father Gloom is also very excited about that, too. Um, is there anything else that you had for Father Gloom? No. Excellent. All right. <laughs> the rest of you, is there anything else you want to do in these days as you prepare for your trip back to New Elysium. I imagine Kuiper is just going to every now and then come back and can he actually like see the process of the ship being like copied or is it just immediately instant? Uh, well, on the know? third day you can. The first two days they're re, re um, building or like, you know, repowering the, the sky dock. But on the last day you can. Yeah, it's like a it's like a 15 hour process. Mm-hmm, from start to finish, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he would just kind of come back and forth, you know, just to kind of just see the pre- uh, procedure, see how the sausage is made, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Cool. Anybody uh, else? Trelax is going to sell his old armor and look for a soul fire weapon fusion for his solar weapon crystal. Um, yeah, you are able to find one. Um, it's... <laughs> Father Gloom says to you, Trelax, it's interesting that you should ask for such a thing. I have found one of these, well, I traded for one of these 
many, many years ago, uh, there was a Solarian that came through here, and he needed a ship desperately. I've been using it as a decorative gem for this chin piercing that I have, but I would be happy to give it to you at a reasonable price. Yes, Father Gloom, I am sure I could make much better use of it than you could as a chin decoration. <laughs> yes, it is meant to tap into your inner charisma, of which I have plenty. I do not need this any further. I will replace it with the small skull of a squawk. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fantastic. A great plan, very fitting with your aesthetic, Father Bloom. Right. Uh, so what it is, it's a soul fire um, fusion, which you can now put on your your weapon, which allows you to add your charisma. Yeah, it's pretty nice. I go up to a plus th- 23 damage when I'm attuned in uh, photon mode. Ooh, fucking mm-hmm. hell. So if I hit, I'm doing a minimum 27 damage, like guaranteed wow. 27 damage. That's pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Um, all right, anybody else? Since we've got a couple of days, right? Um, Mike was able to to kind of hodgepodge together a new set of armor based on the giant's armor, right? But he did mm-hmm. it very quickly and just very utilitarian. So I think you know that first day he would definitely want to kind of you know just like do a once over, or twice over of his armor and and get it fitted better and maybe just look it a little nicer because I imagined I didn't really describe it because we were in a hurry but I imagine it just looks like you slap a bunch of pieces of one set of armor onto an already existing set of armor so it probably doesn't look great you know mm-hmm. so getting his armor to where it, it you know it all looks like one set of armor and also just like fits right in in the right mm-hmm. places and isn't like overlapping and stuff like that so just getting his armor to where it looks good and feels good and then I think you know, Mike's big deal right now, He this having to spend a couple of days, three days, right? Mm-hmm. That is killing Mike. Like, having to right. wait three days to do anything because, as I've said, like, he can't let go of the idea that if we're quick enough, we can save everybody. You know, we can we can go and get Zeno and Oren and, and Ziva and get back in time to get Fell as well and get the whole gang back together. He can't let go of that idea. So... That time is is almost physically hurting him, having to wait every single day. So I think he, once he gets his armor set up, get you know checks out his new weapons. Is there any way anywhere that he could like test out his weapons, like blow off some steam, like just he wants to train. Yeah. All he all he knows to do when he's stressed like this is throw himself into training to not you know to get past several that anxiety. Kuth, several Kuthites volunteer to let you punch him in the face. Well, it's much more Damn. than it's much more than punching, especially having a new gun. You know. Yeah, I mean, you can shoot. You can shoot targets. They're not not really about that. But if you know, they they definitely let you knock them around a little bit. Right. I think I think there would definitely be some of that if it, if you have people volunteering for hand to hand combat, he'll do that. I think it would also be a situation of like the tables are turned. Like I want to try out my new armor. Y'all come at me. You know. Right. Like even yeah. even shoot at me, stab at me. Like we got to make sure this armor works. And, and I think, I mean, I don't mean to put words in in John's mouth, but I would think, 
Kuiper is kind of the only person he can really rely on and knows that he can... Yeah, I, I even hesitate to say knows he can trust. He trusts him more than the other people he's with, but he's in very mm-hmm. unfamiliar waters. So, I, you know, I wonder if Kuiper would be there or if Trelax would pop in because, like, you know, yeah. that'd be a couple of days of him really not having anything to do but train. Yeah, I imagine everybody's trying to kind of keep themselves up and going and, and, mm-hmm. and focused mm-hmm. during that time. I like it. Very good. Very good. Um, so, you know, you guys spend your days there. And before we get to the Shadow Tracer... We got another. We got another little little side, a flash sideways here. Uh, yeah, uh, Emily's gonna take us along on this one. Um, so let me switch music here, and we'll see what Emily has prepared for us. Uh, let's do our let's do our sounds. Here we go. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm getting sick. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Emily. Ziva slowly comes into consciousness with a gentle tug to her hair. The light pulling continues as she recognizes the patterned strokes of a hairbrush passing through her long white mane. Her eyes slowly open and she finds herself in a room that she hasn't seen in over 30 years. Her mother's room. The sandstone carved walls draped with sheer gossamer fabrics flutter in the breeze from the open balcony which looks over a lush jungle landscape. As the wind stirs again, the heady scent of budding megaflora drifts through the room mingling with an even more captivating fragrance, that of her mother's perfume. The brushing continues and a soft humming begins from behind her, her mother's voice lightly singing the same song she had always sung during these treasured moments. Ziva feels herself tense. Everything was perfect, just as she remembered it from all those years before. But she finds herself shaking. She still hadn't looked at her mother. If this was a memory, a dream, or vision of some kind, surely her mother's face would be as she remembered it, right? She could recall everything else so clearly. Why was she so terrified that her mother's face would not be among the memories? Despite the warm and humid air, Ziva grows cold, the fear seeping into her bones. Why couldn't she summon the image of her mother's face to her mind? Was this her mother brushing her hair? She just needed to turn around and look. Just turn around. The brushing stops as does the humming. Ziva feels the handle of the brush rest on her shoulder. It was her turn. She remembered this hundreds of times before when her mother had finished brushing her hair, Ziva would get to brush her mother's hair. It was their most precious and personal ritual. She hesitated, but then with a deep breath, took hold of the brush The beautiful carved ivory handle is a solid presence in her hand. It steadies her. She had nothing to fear. This was her mother. She could remember her face. She had to. She stood with her back still to the figure behind, took a final breath to steal herself, and turned around. 
the scene shifts. The room blurs as she turns. Every once familiar element of the space twists and warps out of focus. And before she can make out the form of her mother, she finds herself in her own room, or rather the captain's quarters on the epic tracer. She's standing behind the familiar form of Orin, a brush very similar to the one from her mother's room, held in one hand and a few locks of Orin's hair in the other. The pain of not having seen her mother's face hits her like a blow to the stomach. She had been so close, but now she's gone. The sweet, fragrant air of Castravel has been replaced by the stale, recycled air of the Tracer. Her mother was lost to her, even in her memories. She began to brush Orin's hair, and as she did, she wept. The tears fell as she brushed, dampening the salt and pepper strands in her hands. But soon, she notices, with each stroke of the brush, the hair seems to grow. As soon as she realizes what's happening, Orin's head snaps to the side, staring at her over his shoulder. Only one eye is visible from the position, but that single eye is filled with utter and absolute hate. Ziva drops the brush at the cold fury of the stare, but even before the brush can clatter to the floor, the hair begins to choke her. Long, gray, flecked brown lengths wrap around her throat, stronger than any steel wire. Horan stands as the deadly locks tighten their hold. He turns the full weight of his eyes on her now. So much hate. She feels the last of her strength leave her, and she goes limp against the bonds that hold her upright. The light of the room begins to fade as she dies, but the last thing she sees before she slips into the void is the face of one of her dearest friends, the face of Orin, glaring at her with glowing red eyes. The scene shifts. The choking sensation is suddenly gone. The red glow of Orin's eyes replaced by a blue glow, then green, then purple. The lights were flashing, pulsing. The ringing in her ears from the lack of oxygen clears and is replaced by a rhythmic thrum that sharpens as her mind clears. Music? Laughing? Talking, dancing, the scene comes rushing into clarity. Nakondis. She feels a strong, scaled hand gently take her arm. Mike. The music shifts, now a driving, heavy song, the bass reverberating in her chest. Mike takes her hand, and they begin to dance. He's a steady, warm presence through every step, spinning, dipping, flying. The two move as if one. A graceful and powerful creature that undulates and shifts along the dance floor. As the song comes to an end, with one finishing flourish, Mike spins Ziva out and pulls her back into his arms, holding her there. She smiles up at him. He looks down at her, still held in the final embrace of their dance. He grins down 
with his toothy smirk, the pulsing lights reflecting against those large teeth. Teeth that seem to be getting larger. His smile spreads wider, becoming unnatural and contorted. The corners of his mouth split as the smile continues. His teeth, now massive fangs, bulge from the raw and bleeding gums. Ziva writhes in his grip, trying to move away from the horrific maw that now opens above her. She can't break free, but manages to turn in his arms so that at least she can look away from the bloody face of her friend. But what she sees in the rest of the room is somehow worse. The lights had changed, now only a muted red blinking. The music is distorted and off-key. The chaos of the room is a stark contrast to the joyful festivities that were occurring only moments before. In one corner, Fell kneels on top of the screaming form of Zickle. The Sheeran's chest has been ripped open by the Verthani, and Fell is picking through various organs with a wide-eyed fascination of a child trying to puzzle out how to work a clock by taking it apart. A few feet away, Zeno advances on an unarmed Trevor. The android knocks the young DJ to the ground. As Trevor lies helpless and stunned, trying to regain his breath, Zeno grabs a frightened Hobgar as it tries to scurry past. Using his booted foot, he holds the terrified creature down on top of Trevor's chest, and with a tight-lipped smile, he frees a knife. He frees a knife from its sheath and drives the blade down into the hobgar, through it, and into Trevor. In its death throes, the creature sends out a current of electricity that courses along the blade and into Trevor. As the young man convulses with the shock of electricity and betrayal, he stares at Fell, who is still smiling. Looking away from one grisly scene, Ziva sees more. Every one of the partygoers has turned on each other. Blood and gore seem to cover every face she sees. Her eyes fall to Orin as he smiles and summons his solar blade, ramming it into Weldy's stomach. The young man stares at the glowing blade in confusion, and Ziva finds herself staring in much the same way as she feels the sharp and immediate pain of teeth sinking into her shoulder. She screams and fights against the immense agony. Mike only clenches his jaw, sending the dagger-like fangs deeper. Ziva sobs, and Mike sighs contentedly. She nearly loses consciousness at the pain, but is pulled back from the brink as she feels Mike moving them. Her eyes snap open, and she sees that they're in front of a long table of food. Directly below her, a large bowl of punch she feels Mike's teeth release, and blood gushes down her dress into the bowl. Mike shifts his hold, bringing her arms behind her back, holding them both with a single large vest hand. With the other, he grabs her hair, and with a deep rumbling chuckle, he violently slams her head into the punch bowl. She thrashes against his hold, but it's useless. She feels the liquid start to enter her lungs. Her struggles grow weaker. And the last thought she has before the blackness takes her is that the liquid is growing somehow warmer. <laughs> Must be from her own blood filling the bowl. 
And then she dies. Gracious. Good God. Uh, What's wrong with y'all? I guess. I guess taking inspiration. I guess. Fucking Zeno just bullies Trevor, man. (laughs) Don't even worry about it. What do I do? I roll a thing. I roll a d6. Six. Okay, it's a personal. All right, so roll a d another d6. Two. All right. This one is from Sir Newt. Hey, Newt. Mm. What up, Newt boy? In which state does the Mississippi River flow? Liquid. Why is it a bad idea to swim in the Mississippi River? (laughs) (laughs) Because it has pee-pee in it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Newt. I like it. I like both of them. You're, all right. Cool, cool, man. Cool. You're not right. wrong. <laughs> I mean, no. I, I, I. Um, shit. Yeah. Hey, do y'all still love me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Mike okay. just wrecked Ziva there. Like, fuck. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, good job, Emily. I was, uh, I was quite, quite a. Series of events. I uh, love this. Seri- a whole series of events, um, even. It turns out that the nightmare plane is not a very cool place to be. There's some uh, unresolved it's issues. It's a doozy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, on the third day, the ship is ready, and you guys are able to board the ship. And um, it it looks like the Epic Tracer, for the most part, although there are some... Uh, improvements to it. Josh, do you want to... Bre- is there anything specifically about the ep- new Epic Tracer? Uh, Shadow Tracer, as we're calling it, that you want to touch on? See, I thought, nice. uh, I thought the name Shade Tracer would be a little bit better. Okay. But Shade mm. Tracer. I like it. Um, All right. Yeah, it's mostly the same. Uh, uh-huh. Just wanted to try to fix some of the shortcomings that allowed the last one to explode. <laughs> okay. As well as add in some, uh, some interesting... Like all the weapons are the same, the nuke is still there. It's got to have the, the tactical right. nuke on the gotta front. Have a nuke. Even though at this point it's kind of a lower tier, lower level weapon, uh, but still the gyro cannons, still the maser on top. But those gyro cannons and maser have the Anubrix material, or they're made out of the Anubrix material. Okay. Which give me a second to look that up. It does something. <laughs> it does a whole. I tell you what, it, there's something to it. Yeah. A, a whole last thing. <laughs> All right, so Anubrix is nicknamed Ghost Iron. Ooh. Anubrix is the softest of the star metals. Yeah, so basically what happens with these is you, when you shoot it, the ammunition phases in and out of existence. And if you get a critical hit or, or when you damage something that ends up causing it uh, to have a critical effect, there's a chance for it to progress that critical effect twice down the track. Ooh. Oh, nice. On, okay. nice. on our three Sweet main weapons. So, like Schrodinger's ammunition. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's About pretty it. Awesome. Yeah. I was into it just for the ghost name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's like um, Schrodinger's ammunition if the whole Schrodinger's cat thing was like, not is there, is not it's, a cat. It's There's a cat, now there's two cats. Right. It's, it's more like quantum <laughs> ballistics, you know? There it is. That's what I was going for. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. All right. Well, so Father Gloom walks you through the ship just to kind of, you know, kind of make sure that it's up to up to par and shows you all these new things and stuff like that. Um, he's like, yes, this was quite the vessel to recreate. I must commend you, Mike and Kuiper. The construction of the original ep- epic epoch. Did you ever decide... Epic. What it was? You can just Epoch? call it the tracer, mate. The tracer, <laughs> yes, uh, was was of fantastic design. However, there was an anomaly when we were making this ship that we could not, despite our best efforts, eradicate. There is no problem with the ship, but I feel as if I must point it out to you, just so you are aware. Okay. And he takes you. He takes you to the bridge. And on the bridge, take it to the bridge. Take it to the bridge. In the science officer's station, there is a cactus um, that in place of where the chair would be. And he's, he's, he says, this is very odd. This did not come up in any of the, uh, the schematics of the tracer. However, no matter how hard we tried, the shadow stuff just seemed to form itself into this cactus shape. I cannot understand it. It doesn't. It doesn't have any is effect on the 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 systems. It is just a visual thing that we could not scrub. Is the cactus like the size of a chair? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like a big full-size cactus. What? What? Okay. Does it, does so, it function okay. as a chair? <laughs> that would be it's a, a very scratchy cute post for, thing uh, to do for Kuiper. Yeah, all the chairs. <laughs> are so upon <laughs> seeing the cactus, D slings his pack around, reaches his hand in, and pulls out a tiny potted cactus that he picked up a long time ago, <laughs> and examines it, looks at the big one, and just places it on the floor next to it. And stares at it for a while. <laughs> Where'd you get that? I, as a player, do not remember. I've had it in there for months. You've had it for a long time. It's, in the sh- it's from the Shadow Lab, you got actually. It from the Shadow, shadow Lab, lab. Yep. yeah. Yep. I picked this up in a lab. Oh, yeah, the a very first back. lab that you went to. You picked yeah. it up off of Zeno's cubicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Research desk, not cubicle. <laughs> sure, whatever. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, to that that point, potato. we have another <laughs> flash, and this one is coming from John. Oh, so, uh, let's get those uh, the sounds again. Let's get those didgeridoos. All right, whenever you're ready. John, this uh, y'all buckle up. This is a long one. Xenophany Six awakens, surrounded by the boundless dreamscape within the Rune Drive. Set upon by a brief flash of deja vu, he recalls being momentarily trapped in the Rune Drive once before. But before he can fully process this information, a mote of light appears from the void. The gray luminescence approaches the android and begins to take form. He watches, transfixed as this light coalesces into a simulacrum of his former self, adopting color, skin, facial features, and clothing. 
while a scene manifests within the surrounding area. Realization hits Zeno suddenly as he recognizes a sterile and cold environment of Dr. Gargant's lab from so many years ago. Again, another form materializes, this time in the form of the doctor herself. Disheveled in her appearance, Zeno wonders how this dedicated researcher descended into the horrific entity she is now. What event precipitated such a severe metamorphosis? The scene unfolds in front of Zeno as he begins to draw connections between the two versions of Dr. Gargant. The way the room is arranged, the nature of supplies that are nearby, and the near palpable gloom hanging in the air inform the Technomancer as to what experiments are about to take place. These are the dark times of the Doctor's nanosite experiments and the trial phase is underway. Her hypothesis suggested that the nature of pain was tied inextricably to pleasure and the catalyst for this conversion was rooted in nanocytes. The project drew considerable interest from the military, eager for any effective applications for use in the battlefield. Soldiers happily volunteered for the experiments, supplying the lab with enough test subjects. No, these were living beings with souls. How had he compartmentalized that fact? Had he too lost the value of life during this period? Or has the sum of his experiences evoked a new appreciation in the human condition? Even the cold rationale that these souls would likely suffer worse fates at the hands of the swarm didn't assuage his guilt. Anguish gnawed at the core of Zeno. Just how many soldiers were killed in these trials? The doctor, clearly nervous and stressed, approaches a soldier strapped into the operating chair. A confident grin paints the soldier's face as he urges her to give him the juice. Gregant obliges, uttering small prayers under her breath as she plunges the needle into the soldier's arm. Zeno knows how this is going to play out, but he is helpless to do anything but watch. The nanocytes flood into the soldier's veins, and within moments his face contorts into a grimace. He clenches his teeth so hard that Zeno can hear them crack. A sudden scream of pain escapes the soldier's mouth as he thrashes violently against the restraints. Rivulets of crimson stream down the man's face as the blood vessels in his eyes burst. The soldier's tongue breaches the captivity of his mouth and in one violent chomp is severed. In a flash, one of the restraints pops and the muscled arm finds the throat of the doctor, constricting the airways in the attempt to choke the life out of her. Seconds feel like minutes until the abrupt sound of a pistol interrupts the rage. The incarnation of insanity slumps in the seat and a guard slips his sidearm back into its holster. Another failed experiment, another life paid for the sake of research. The scene dissipates and Zeno is thrust into darkness once more. But it is only moments before the moat shines out of the void and this horrific nightmare begins its cycle anew. Zeno watches this terrible experiment play out over and over again, helpless to stop it. He loses count of how many times he sees a soldier rage and then be executed. As if lost at sea, the android fights to keep from drowning, despite not needing to breathe. In this hellish dreamscape, he can almost hear Mordrin's laugh echo through the void. Thrust back into darkness, a new moat takes shape. And while it still coalesces into Xeno-5, the scene around the android is different. Rather than the operating theater of the lab, he finds himself in Dr. Gagant's office, that fateful day when he decided to check in with her and she administered her latest blends of nanocytes. 
Again, Zeno watches helplessly as Dr. Gagant injects his former self's arm with the dark concoction of nanocytes and what looks to be a blackish swirl of energy. As the needle delivers its contents into the biological components of Zeno's android body, Zeno 6 watches in horror as Zeno 5 starts to contort with the same rage and pain that the soldiers exhibited. Zeno 5 leaps from his chair and hurls it at the wall. He then attacks Dr. Gagan, plunging his pulsing arm through her chest and crushing her heart. Then, Zeno 5, laughing all the time, begins to pull his own eyes out of his face. He starts peeling the flesh back from his mechanical components, impervious to pain. It seems the serum works, but also creates an insatiable rage. Zeno 6 just watches in horror as the android pulls himself apart, laughing in electronic distortion before the scene dissipates and starts its cycle once more. Zeno 6 is forced to watch this countless times, but the more he watches it, the more he sees the cracks in the veneer. This is not how this event actually played out. Yes, Dr. Gagant gave him the shot, but nothing happened. He didn't lash out, enter a rage. In fact, he distinctly remembers feeling nothing. Those nanocytes lay dormant in him for years. It wasn't until... Oh yes, of course. These nanocytes activated when he touched the rune drive in Aurelos. The last time he was pulled into the rune drive, he has been here before. Yes, he remembers it now. He was in this space, but now it is layered with these nightmares from Mordrin. Xeno-6 focuses his mind, his technomancy, and his nanocytes. He was able to manipulate the power of the rune drive once before. He can do it again. His red optics flicker as he wills his very soul to undergo digital transfusion. In a moment, his red optics dim to black and the husk that was Xeno-6 clatters to the floor. Blue eyes blink open, perspectives shift, he is now sitting in the chair. He peers just beyond the doctor to confirm his now dormant shell and feels a prick of a needle penetrating skin. A strange feeling it was to have skin again. A few moments go by and nothing happens. He does not succumb to uncontrollable rage. The process was trivial, mundane even, just like how it happened in his life before. Dr. Gagant smiles at him and then her and the office disappear, leaving Zeno alone again in the darkness. Zeno focuses his energy into his nanocytes, and they erupt from his arm, coalescing into what looks to be a data pad. Zeno knows that this tablet is just a manifestation of dreams, but it is the best way for his brain to process what he was about to attempt to do. With building hope, he inputs a few test commands into the device. He then looks up to where the wisps had been forming and watches as they wink out of existence when he executes the command functions. Excellent. This may work. He then tries a few other things on the data pad. Is there a way to find Orin and Ziva here? Well, the only way to find out is to try, and Zeno gets to work. Very nice. Go ahead and roll that inspiration D6. John, thank you for that. That was great. All right, all right. Get to work, Zeno. Mm-hmm. Help us. Help us. We're stuck in Marjorie's dreams game. <laughs>
<laughs> that is a four on the die. All right, so that's going to be a general. Blah, 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 blah. All right, this one comes from Grumpus. Uh, oh, this is really appropriate, too. Uh, you don't have to like it. You just have to do it. Suck it up. You can get the job done. <laughs> that's very All appropriate. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And I, be- I believe it's pronounced Grumpus. All right, y'all, we got just a little bit more to go here on this episode. This kind of supersized 150. I hope you guys have enjoyed Mm -hmm. it so far. The Shade Tracer is ready to launch. The crew is about to head back into space and back towards New Elysium. Shadow space. Yeah. Shadow Shadow, New Elysium. Shadow space (laughs) and Shadow New Elysium, yes. Yep. It is going to take you six days to make your way back to the diaspora where the asteroid is that holds Shadow New Elysium. Um, as you're making this trip, the shadow space feels very different than normal space. And while most space is dark and empty, for some reason or somehow, this feels more infinite, more expansive, more dark. Uh, your sensors are occluded by shadow stuff that makes up the plane, and there's an unsettling sense of loneliness that descends upon this journey. However, you might enjoy a quiet interlude before you reach there. You might, but I'm an asshole, so you don't. <laughs> uh, um, cool, 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 cool. Like a day after trip, not like maybe a day. Time is hard to tell here. But shortly after you leave Shadowverses, I need somebody to whoever is in the computer station to roll a computer's check. Not I. What's a computer? <laughs> well, I guess uh, I am a computer, but I cannot operate them. Yes, that would be Kuiper. <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead and get that computer's check. Okay, let's get that computer's check. That is a 17. Uh, okay, well, you detect a single vessel moving quickly towards you. They definitely have the jump on you with that computer's check being so low. Um, But you can make out that it is a Velstrak vessel. Um, And on your comms, you hear them push through. Even without you opening comms, they just do it. And you hear... Welcome to the Shadow Plane, unknown vessel. Oh no. We invite you to partake of carnal experiences never before known to your kind. Lower your shields and be embraced. And I would say we'll see you, but I got one more flash <laughs> yes. okay okay yes. okay adam unexpected flash <laughs> y'all every time unexpected flash he just pulled up his shirt and i don't know what to do with that <laughs> <laughs> all right so one more time with the perfect felina sits at the table eating a plate of powdered potatoes he had reconstituted in the microwave, thinking of his parents as he eats. 
He looks at the environmental protection readouts on his armor display. One hour left. He frowns at the display and grimaces at his leg. Fell had spent the better part of the last four days scavenging supplies and assessing what he could do to improve the odds of his survival here at the black site. The first problem Fell had to solve was how to get out of the black site since the elevator had been destroyed by the four-armed abomination that had chased them down into the dark depths of this installation. Within hours of his friends leaving through the shadow portal, Fell managed to find scrap metal and enough cable to make a grappling hook of sorts. He used this improvised rope grapple to climb up to the next floor above. Once on level three, Fell was able to start to assess the damage that the particle accelerator had done to the black site. The hallway that led to the room where they had encountered Wizzle's shadow was completely caved in, twisted, and pulled towards the floor below. Fortunately for Fell, the rest of this floor was still accessible, even if damaged, which meant that the cold storage would be there for the looting. Food and drink was no longer a problem. He headed to the cold storage, and after dealing with the corpses there, he found enough in the black site's larder to keep him fed. He assumed that the large supply was due to the fact that this population of the black site has little use for food. So that was lucky for him. After gathering the food, he picked one of the empty cells on his floor and got some rest. Between what was already available in his armor and his ability to pull juice out of batteries, Fell determined he had nearly six days on his environmental protection functions. After that, he would surely freeze to death. He had a jetpack, but unfortunately that had been damaged in the event with the particle accelerator. This timeline that he had meant that it was short sleep and long days of working on his way out, but he was determined to do it. The next day was spent collecting all the scrap metal Fell could find, and he began fashioning a crude ladder. Felino wasn't sure how he could possibly make a ladder tall enough to get him from the first level to the surface, but one step at a time. For now, he just needed to get from level 3 to level 2, and from there to level 1. Like any big repair job, Fell had learned to take things one small problem at a time, to avoid being overwhelmed by the magnitude of scale that is working on starships. By the end of his first full day of work, Fell managed to get to the second level. The destruction from the particle accelerator was catastrophic here. The entirety of the professional development department had collapsed, surely killing all the poor souls who were being used as experiments. At least whatever was emanating the shadow signal here was destroyed too. Fell counted that as a win, despite the grisly scene. Fell had a much better night's sleep here as he found the soft couch in the broadcast studio to lay his weary bones to rest. The second day was much like the first, collecting cable and metal, constructing a ladder and harnesses, eating when he needed to, working diligently to pull himself out of this potential grave. Fell was successful and managed to climb up the dark elevator shaft, avoiding sharp ends of the twisted and broken girder beams that had been left by the Velstrak's maniacal, destructive dive. The first floor was less damaged by the planar event that happened so far below, but it wasn't left unscathed. Like the other floors below, there was no power, and most of the glass windows of the door had been shattered. It was a long day, 
but he had succeeded in advancing his progress. However, when he stopped his climb at the first floor and looked up the elevator shaft towards the surface, his heart sank. He knew that the distance between the first floor and the planet's surface was extensive, but actually seeing it was crushing. How was he going to be able to get out? Surely there was not enough metal or cable to fashion a ladder long enough, or even if he could, how was he going to even maneuver such a clumsy contraption into a secure position for him to climb? Thoughts of hopelessness and loss of will plagued Felineau at the sight, but the mechanic had the presence of mind to at least rest and tackle it the next day before giving up. The third day, today, Fel had woken up early to tackle the last leg of his escape. He returned to the shaft and reassessed. Yes, this would be a difficult climb, but it is not impossible. Fell noticed many places where he could use his grapple hook to attach to, climb up, and then pull his sack of batteries up behind him. He could also attach his ladder to the bottom of his grapple hook, and once he got to some of the very small circular ledges that lined the shaft, he could pull the ladder up and just maybe use these small edges to get out. It was either that or die here in this God's forsaken black site. Again, Fell thinks of Mike and Oren and refuses to give up. Fell almost made it. About halfway up, the remaining length of the elevator shaft, Fell had pulled the ladder up to one of these precarious ledges. His plan had been working. Even if there were a few moments of wobbling, he could almost taste the bitter cold air of Versi's surface. As he was climbing his makeshift ladder, Fell heard it before he saw it. A soft, shuffling sound, and then a slight screech of metal. Some small shift of weight, maybe a gust of wind, or perhaps just bad luck. The base of the ladder slid off the ledge it was resting on, and the entire contraption began to fall, taking Fell with it. Fell tried to grab onto a ledge, anything, but his fingers didn't find purchase, and he was pulled into the yawning blackness below him. This is how it ends, he thought, as his stomach lurched and he fell, tumbling head over heels, colliding with the falling ladder and getting tangled in his cable rope. Fell plummeted. Then suddenly, he jerked to a halt. The rope that had wrapped itself around his leg, pulling violently against his weight, dislocating his hip. Fell let out a gasp of pain and surprise at the sudden stop to his fall and looked around. He was dangling by the rope in excruciating pain as he looked up and saw that the ladder had wedged itself across the span of the shaft. He hung like a pendulum as he swung in the empty space. He saw that the platform to level one was some 25 to 30 feet below him. Furthermore, the bag of batteries that would keep his environmental protections functional for the next three days was at the end of the rope like an anchor trying to pull him down to his death. Before he even had time to process all this information, he heard the groan of the ladder above him as it threatened to buckle inward from his weight. Fell had mere moments before the ladder would collapse. Survival instinct took over, and in the same moment Fell drew out a knife he had been using to cut the rope that was below him while swinging on the part of the rope that was above him. The groans grew in protest as Fell's swinging weight tested every bit of engineering that the Rathani had put into the ladder. The pain in his leg caused him to nearly black out as he swung towards the ledge below. A lifetime in a single moment, Fell cut the rope that was pulling him down, untangled himself from the rope that was connected to the ladder, and landed on the platform. 
He scrambled further into level one as the ruins of the ladder finally gave up the ghost and fell behind him, nearly clipping his feet as it plummeted into the depths of the black site below. Despair, pain, and hopelessness overwhelmed Fell, and he passed out where he laid. He'd been able to reset his leg with the assistance of his exocortex AI, but his hopes of climbing out of this cold, frigid hell had been crushed beyond repair. Now, back in the present, Fell is at the table, eating what is likely his last meal, rehydrated potatoes. The irony is not lost on him, but fresh pangs of sadness and regret fill him as he eats, thinking of Fred and Martha, and wondering why he didn't stay home to be a potato farmer all those years ago. The food has no flavor, and he is only eating out of habit. With his batteries gone, he only has an hour left before his suit is no longer able to protect him from the extreme cold. Even with the resistance against cold that his shadow corruption has provided him, he will still perish within a day against these elements. Further irony. So Josh, what is Fell thinking, feeling right about now? I'd say that he's probably thinking that he wished he'd called his mom more often. If only you had some batteries. Yeah. Yeah. I'd imagine he likely wouldn't have signal anyways this deep yeah. down. Yeah. I mean, Fell sitting there just, he was so close, so close. Um, he at least stopped the shadow plane from overtaking Versus. How yeah, does he I mean, feel about that? Good, I guess. As mm -hmm. good as he can, all things considered, the situation that he's in. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, man. Like I, I'm trying to put myself in that type of mindset of like all of those things and that crushing thinking that you, you know, I can do this, I can get out. And then it just doesn't happen, mm -hmm. you know, and just eating these bland potatoes. Yeah. Well, at least it reminds me of his childhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you do, you do have those, those moments of happier times and you're eating and you're putting the fork down, eating, putting the fork down almost in a rhythmic nature as the fork kind of clangs against the the dish and you hear a sound that's almost in in tandem with the rhythm of your fork hitting the plate coming from the shaft maybe maybe even from above this this faint rhythmic pulse what do you do fell looks up and looks back into the shaft or if he's you kind of got to limp your way towards Limping this his way. way, painful grunting the whole way there. And just like, the fuck is that? What, what now? So you go to the shaft and you look up and it's difficult to see because it's so, so dark, but your eyes kind of focus and you see a gyrocopter high above hovering over the opening to this elevator shaft. A hatch opens in the bottom of this gyrocopter and a military-grade cable line uncoils down the shaft. Repelling down the shaft, you try to make out a figure. It's difficult to discern because of the darkness. You don't know if this is friend or foe until a soft orange glow of a cigarette lights up a Vesk's face. So, Mr. Marana, 
Looks to me like you need a lift. And we'll see you. Yeah, we fucking will, <laughs> dude. Yeah. yeah, we will. Fuck okay. you. CSB! Okay. Fuck you, you made me cry! <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah.